gut-brain access is so powerful. Our guts are our second brain. They are constantly communicating. So one tiny thought or like worry, you're like, oh no, you, you know. And it got to a point where me and Steve sat down and Steve said, we, we need to figure something out. What was, what was them words you kind of spoke about stopping the trigger of that kind of thought, which can kind of take you on this kind of like spiral? Positive, like you are going to be okay because you've done, if it's a journey I've done before or if you're going somewhere, like you just went to this place, um, let's just have a minute, deep breathing. You just reset your brain just to have a moment and also to know that, you know what, even if something happens, you're actually going to be okay. Hello and welcome to May Contain, the podcast Breaking the Sigma. The podcast started off breaking the sigma surrounding my food allergy. However, this year, I want to use this platform to break the sigma of other conditions and topics which are not always well understood. And it's a safe space where the guests open up about their own personal stories and struggles on the way in hopes that their stories will inspire you. If you can do me one massive favour whilst listening to the podcast, make sure to click that follow button. Honestly, it means the world to me. And if you're watching this on YouTube, the episode is out every Wednesday so make sure to hit that subscribe button honestly appreciate all the support let's jump into the podcast Amy pleasure to have you on the podcast for the listeners could you just do like a little introduction to yourself yeah um my name is Amy Vivian I am a radio presenter and if you hear any funny noises um during this podcast it's not me I have my pug next to me and she does snore when she sleeps (laughs) Is that alright? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, you must be quite used to this. I mean, like when I interview people, I used to get so so nervous. Like <laughs> I used to get this like massive like red rash. Obviously, being like obviously in Capital FM, you must be quite quite used to the nerves right now. Yeah, it, it's weird to say that it's like normal, but it but it's a different kind of normal because I think that we're we're definitely going to go a lot deeper than I generally talk about one till four in the afternoon. Um, I don't think you really want to hear about Justin Bieber and the Halloween outfits that I spoke about today. <laughs> I did I did hear you on another podcast say that you used to talk about like your dating stories back in the day when you were single. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, I've not let my now husband listen to any of them. <laughs> Just deleting them all off YouTube. Yeah. I know you're married now, so yeah, congratulations. I mean, how do, how does that feel? Does does it feel any different at all? Um, it's weird. It's like a. It doesn't feel different in the relationship sense. You almost just feel kind of a little bit more secure, even though I was never insecure. It's like it's a yeah, real. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, this is my new family unit, and. He took on the dogs, so he really is stuck with them now. <laughs> is he is he local as well? Is he from Milton Keys? Yeah, yeah. So we actually um, knew each other when we were in sixth form. He was um, the year below me, so we like chatted a little bit. Um, I went off to uni, deleted him from Facebook because he didn't turn up to my 18th birthday. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> didn't speak to him for 10 years, and then he added me, re-added me on Facebook, basically, uh, te- nearly 10 years to the day since our previous conversation and God, that's that like, it. yeah amazing I mean I, was, I always love with the guests obviously to kind of go back to kind of like their childhood and kind of where you was brought up so obviously growing up in Milton Keys I mean how was that was it for me it feels like is it quite exclusive like a quiet town <laughs> it's not quiet but there is a point that you get to in your life where you go 
oh, that person knows somebody who I know. It's very much yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love it. And I know everyone's like, oh, Milton Keynes rubbish, but I personally love it. Okay. Um, I now live like just outside Milton Keynes, but I grew up in Bletchley, um, went to school around here. And yeah, and all my loads of my friends are from here. So you just get used to it. You get used to all yeah. the parts. I was going to say, have you still got all like the, your childhood friends or they all kind of stayed in the area? Yeah, so we've got like, there's, funny enough, there's like five of us from sixth form. We're all still like in a big group and three of us out of the five got married this year. So, yeah. Oh, wow. I bet the other two like this pressure on. I feel like that's happening yeah. in my group. Like you hit like 30, I've hit 30 now and I feel like everyone's like getting engaged or getting married and it's just a bit like my girlfriend's like, oh, so when's it happening? I'm like, ah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah all the pressure like there is that there is that that feeling but luckily luckily i have the other side where my uni mates are a little bit further behind so i was like sort of in the middle yeah i mean what what was your life as a child i mean was you obviously being on the radio now obviously very confident and out there i mean was you was you very confident when you were younger yeah i think i always say this and it i think the world we live in now is amazing and it's fascinating but i'm so grateful that I grew up when I grew up because I was just, I never had to question anything. I just got to figure out who I was, if that makes sense. In a, in a sense of, I was out climbing trees. I was rolling around, you know, um, my grandparents had like a small, small holding. So they had like cows and like that kind of thing. And like only a few, literally it was like small. Um, and I was just always out, like, it sounds, it's going to sound really weird, but like, being honest on the, on a podcast, there's like pictures of me as like a four-year-old just naked holding these like horses that my grandma had, like, and just, I just used to love being outdoors and being with animals. And when I was in junior school, I got bullied really bad, but I look back now and I think that made me so resilient to like to almost you you transfer those skills that you learn so I got bullied so now I'm, I was so resilient in like getting my job as a radio presenter I never gave up and I'm sure that's where it came from that I was like I am not gonna let these bullies defeat me it's weird it kind of stems down from that I mm. I get it in the sense that like in school I wasn't very academic so it was always like you can't do this so you can't do that I mean what was that experience that you mentioned there bullying what was that kind of experience growing up it obviously must have made a mark in your life at that age yeah like when you're 10 years old and you're being called the itchy kid because you've got eczema um and your mum sends you to school with a big pint of dip base in case you know and it wasn't it wasn't awful but it it does it is it's not very nice like no no child is ever going to say it's nice but it does teach you you know I went home and my Mom and dad were like, oh, we're so sorry. But then my dad was like, just that's not true. And that's not what people think. And it taught me to like understand that other people have their own things going on. I think sometimes we're so quick to bullying's not nice. But I always think there's always something going on with the bully to make them a bully. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's even harder now. Obviously, with kids and social media. For me, it was like Facebook. I remember that getting like introduced when I was like year nine, year 10. Yeah. Um, there wasn't Instagram, obviously. Definitely not TikTok. I mean, was that the same same for you? There wasn't really the, the the pressures, like you say, of social media. Yeah, I mean, I was that person at sixteen years old, sat on my floor when you just got, you know, when you just got your laptops, but you had to plug in. So you'd sit on the living 
exploring your parents' house, like plugged into the dial-up on MSN. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they wouldn't even know what that is. Like dial away, yeah. like it's a little sound effect before it connects. Like. Exactly. I mean, you, you mentioned now, see, like animals. I mean, you love for animals. Is that, is that kind of come down from your dad? Would you say because he's a love for bulldogs? Yeah, from dad and his parents. Like they, they're the ones that had like the the little bit of land with. So when my dad was younger, he like had three pigs and his brother had three cows. That's why I'm like literally there was a few of them and they just. They just had them and they had so many different dogs over the years. And I'd be, you know, like I, I'd go and stay with my grandparents. They moved to Dorset when I was six, but I'd go and stay there every holiday with, without fail. They had chickens and I used to like, my my grandma will tell you, like I, she used to find me in the house and I would have gone and got a chicken out of the chicken coop. And I she'd come in and be like, what are you doing? Oh, I, it wanted to watch this TV show and I'd be sat there. Like with this chicken on my lap, like I don't know what it is. I just, I just always been around it, and yeah, basically, I ended up getting a bulldog because I knew it was the only dog that my dad would let me get. So that's what I would, got. Would, would it all let you have dogs um, in prize to that? Well, my mum was allergic, so it was a bit of a thing. And then one day, I, I was, I'd come back from uni, and I was living with them, and I was like, I'm gonna get a dog. I've decided. <laughs> It must be quite a fun childhood, obviously being surrounded by animals like all the time. Like, yeah, yeah, it was it was really fun. They like surrounded by animals on that side and surrounded by cousins on the other side, like my mum's side of the family. Um, that that was our life basically. I mean, so you've got you've got Daisy. So Daisy was the first dog you had. I mean, what's what's the story behind getting Daisy? So I and actually got quite. A, was it quite a sad story? It heard. Yeah, well, we we went to get the bulldog, and um, there was she was the last one, and no one wanted her, uh, basically because she was the runt of the litter. So we obviously felt sorry for her, and then the person who had them, unfortunately, her cousin had had a litter of pug puppies, and there were they'd been somebody tried to steal them, basically. And this little pug was was she'd been poorly, so nobody wanted her, and nobody. We 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 basically ended up with the two dogs that no one wanted, and I went to get one, and they ended up with two. Um, but now I wouldn't be without them. They're like my two. Oh, best. I didn't. Re- I thought you got them at like different times. I didn't realize no. you got them um, together. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they, yeah. And they're actually born a week apart, so they'll both be ten in February. And they're quite opposite personalities, I heard. So you got yeah, the, yeah. the TV dog. So, so what's the dog in frame when he when he pops in and pops out? Uh, Eva is the TV dog. She's the well-behaved dog. Um, and the yeah. other dog has just Eva's returned, just actually, that. and that's Daisy the bulldog. Yeah. She's, yeah, <laughs> not interested. Yeah. I would love to kind of find out about all your story, obviously, getting into kind of radio. I mean, obviously, starting off in Milton Keys. I mean, what was your journey? Obviously, was it going doing drama at school? Yeah, so... I never knew what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. When I was at school, I never knew what I wanted to do. I wasn't one of these kids that was really good at maths or really good at science or really, I, I just kind of just floated along. And I basically got to doing my GCSEs and I, I, I did dance. And then I got to my A-levels and my parents were just like, just do something you love. So, okay, I'll do drama and I was still dancing and get to uni. I come home and I'm like, everyone's going to uni. Should I go to uni not really thought about it my parents like yeah if you want to like absolutely should we go look at some courses like just see how you feel great what should I do 
well, kind of like dancing and drama. So I guess I'll go and look at those courses. And it literally was as simple as that sounds. And I'm so grateful that my mum, my mum, bless her, because I wasn't the, the, the kid that just got it at school. I, I failed my 11 plus, even though I'd had extra tutoring, I just could not grasp it. I had to sit and revise so hard for my exams. Like, and she was there with me and she was just like, let's just go see some of these courses in the things that you like doing. And so I got into Surrey Uni to do dance and that's basically where I found presenting and, re- well, radio, because I had so much free time that I was I, I was bored, essentially. And so I joined the student union and was like, oh, can I do student radio? And I loved it so much. I just, it was, I just felt like I came to life on the student radio. And when I moved back from uni, a lot of my friends were still um, away at, or had moved abroad for a year. And I volunteered at MKFM. It literally just been set up. So I was working in my day selling pap testing with, for my dad's business um doing that and then I'd go to volunteer at MKFM in the afternoon and I did that for nearly three years before I started on Capital. I mean that's amazing I mean you mentioned there about your family they always kind of push you to kind of do what you love. Yeah in a really positive way of just be who you are love what you love and 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 that's that's okay and if you love something you're more likely to succeed succeed in succeed, it yeah, yeah 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 my parents have always kind of like done the same you kind of mentioned when you walked in that studio union and obviously you was doing the the kind of radio shows there I mean did it did, did just like click straight away that kind of passion for radio yeah it was like without sounding cheesy it was oh I think I'm all right at this like I really enjoy this and we used to, as part of our course, obviously, because we were doing dance, we'd have to put on shows and things. And I don't know now how I got away with it, but I used to be like, I don't really fancy dancing because I've realised I can only do contemporary dance. And all my friends were doing contemporary dance, ballet, African, like that. And, but can I host the shows? And they were, they, the the uh, teachers and lecturers were like, absolutely, like, we've never had anyone do this. What do you mean? I was like, why don't I come in, introduce the course, like what we're doing, what, what people are going to see? And I used to do that, basically, for when I was at uni, I used to introduce all of our shows. And when you get to talk to people like that, if you love it, it is like a buzz and a feeling that is like no other. Yeah, it's like a high in it as well. I mean, I've kind of heard you kind of speak about, obviously, um, obviously your passion, obviously, with music and Eminem being one of the first albums with your dad. Yeah. Just and it was so funny you mentioned that because like my dad was the same. He used to play the Encore album. That was like the first album I used to see like in the car. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny now because he would never listen to stuff like this. But um, yeah, when he, when I was growing up, that's what I was like. Because it's quite funny because my, my, my girlfriend always says like, oh, like you don't have that like like connection with music. Like music means a lot to some people. For me, yeah. it's, it's just that one album probably and Akon <laughs> maybe. Um, yes an acorn that's that that is the same yeah yeah it's weird like you know I'd go to school and my like friends would be like oh we're listening to this and that and I'd be like oh it's this yeah Eminem the encore album what your dad plays that oh yeah my dad was when my dad had me um he was 23 so he was he's still even now I'm nearly 33 and he's 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 still a young dad I guess um so yeah, that's I grew up listening to that kind of music and loved it basically. Yeah, 
I was I was a relationship with your family. You like super close to your mum and dad. Yeah, always like super close. Always, always was, always will be. If that in a in like it's not intense. I know sometimes they're like yeah, super close. No, um, but yeah, like every year I'd go camping with my dad. Um, I still go skiing with my dad. We used to go me, my dad, and my granddad. Um, the three of us three generations like every year um from when I was like 23 till my granddad passed away in 2019 and it's such like I feel so lucky that I get to do that um and me and my mum my mum and dad aren't together anymore but me and my mum still like will go on like trips like we went to Barcelona in the summer and we we are so close I think I speak to my mum probably 10 times a day like, like on the phone we probably speak three four times a day and then we are communicating all day on, on whatsapp <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that yeah because I, I i ring my mom maybe like twice a day but i i ring i say if i'm going to like the gym or i'm walking to the tube like, i'll give her like a quick call it's never like an yeah. hour call it's just like what you been up to what where are you um yeah <laughs> so i'm i'm the same but i know like, some people find that weird they're like what you ring your mum like all the time like yeah yeah and oh. you, i went and when I moved to London, she's like, I never felt like you moved away because like you got to like on the phone. Like, I mean, so you got off with this incredible obviously job at Capital. Is it true you got scouted through? Is that YouTube video? Yeah, somebody at Global who owned Capital saw a got shown a YouTube video of me, um, and that was when I was working at MKFM. And funnily enough, it was this video where. Spamalot was on Milton Keynes Theatre stage and I got to do this bit where you walk on with a sign and it's all part of the show and that okay. was that was the video but we'd done a video leading up to it and and that and that was in 2015 about yeah about the July June July time and so it wasn't it wasn't a video it wasn't like a video of you on the radio no 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 that's mad it's like no I mean like and then they get you in and then they were, we, I, I think I was what they call demoing. So you go in, you sit in the studio, they tell you to, you know, do this and do that. And can you say this? And can you talk into this song for three, four months before I even knew oh, wow. anything? Like, yeah, yeah. It's a long time. Would you, and, would you feel like competing with people as well? Was it like? Well, you always, you always are. And you, yeah. and I knew that as a presenter that comes part and parcel. And I, in the, that was 2015 and I left uni in July 2012. That tells you how long it was. Like, And I had so many rejections. Even from some of the... Like, I had so many rejections. Yeah, that. I mean, it's amazing, obviously, like, you persevered as well because I, I kind of... You've read that, obviously, you sent out so many demos to yeah. try and obviously get, get that one foot in the door. I just was determined. I just thought, this is what I want to do. I, and... and because I was still enjoying it, doing MKFM, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to give up on this. Like, nothing's happened. You know, as much as I always say this, like, I use this example, like Chris Moyles, in my opinion, is one of the best, most iconic radio presenters we have in the UK. Right. He, he his skill and his ability on air is phenomenal. But he didn't just become Chris Moyles overnight. He also worked on the radio. He grafted for a long time before he was the Chris Moyles that we know and love. Everyone now. knows, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always like behind the scenes, isn't it? And um, it must be amazing, obviously, looking back to where you started to where you are now to kind of see your confidence on air and even like your style as well. I imagine that kind of changes as you, as you get older, essentially. 
Yeah. Oh, it really does. You you learn as you as the as the time on air goes by. You obviously get more comfortable in the studio, but you also realise who you are and who your personality is on air and off air. And I'm pretty similar. There's certain things I obviously don't go there about, but we that's part of being on Capital. It's so nice we get to be who we are. Um, and as you get older and you do more and more, and now I'm into my nearly fifth year on afternoons. It's like we have this real afternoon vibe that we bring and it's like that's who that show is yeah i mean can we talk about that moment when you found out you got offered the job <laughs> at capital where where was you um in that time like well it's a bit of a weird one because i got told oh can you do some cover in the november so i did like two shifts and i was like oh my goodness like this is amazing i was at work in the office with dad I was like, I can't believe this. And I did two shifts. And then I think I did like two in December over Christmas. And and that was it. And I was like, oh, no. Like, what if they, what if they don't like me, you know? And I think I didn't hear anything. They said, you know, you're you're just on cover. That's that's how it works. You think, yeah, yeah, well, I did two. I've done four. And I was skiing with my uh, dad and my granddad. And I was literally up a mountain. And I feel my phone going I look and I see um it's Greg Hughes calling he was um our managing editor at the time and I'm like I need to take this like and I shout like and I'm like dad stop dad stop so we all stop on the side of our ski run oh my gosh (laughs) this is so weird right it's like fate I've coincidentally every year we do a picnic day where we get champagne get some salamis and some cheeses and some breads from the from the shops and we, yeah, we, we have a picnic on the, on the mountain. So weirdly, it was that day. So I get this call. I speak to Greg. And he's like, so we'd like to you, you to do overnights for us, Monday to Thursday. And I'm like, what? It's like, would that be okay? Yeah, we'd like you to start next month. And I was like, this, that was, that was it, basically. Yeah. So we had one of the best picnic days ever that day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that must be amazing, knowing that you've got your, like, the, the foot in the door, which is always, like, the, the, the hardest bit in it with any industry. Like, once you're in there, it's a lot easier then to kind of move your way up kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I was just grateful. Like, everyone says, oh, it used to irritate me so much when, when I'd be like, oh, I'm on, yeah, do, what do you do? Oh, I'm on Capital. Oh, do you, oh, you do the graveyard shift? Well, well, no, I'm on Capital Radio, so in my opinion, no shift is the graveyard shift. Yeah, that's I'm, what I mean, mate. Like, yeah, because yeah, I'm on Capital Radio, and, and people can't understand that. Why would you want to go up and stay up one till four a.m. because I'm on Capital Radio? Like that's why. That's what, and everyone starts like somewhere as well. Um, I mean, how was it when you got that kind of daytime um, shift? Obviously, what what you're doing now because you're all kind of sat together, are you? Yeah, it's. I'll be really honest. It was. Getting the day the daytimes in 2019 was where I experienced one of the best moments of my life and the worst moments of my life because I started in the January and in the March I lost my granddad who I went skiing with like it was like quite sudden Awful, yeah, yeah. really really bad I was really sad it was my first proper experience of grief and six months later I lost my other granddad. So while you're dealing with this ginormous, like, task of being an afternoon presenter and making sure every day you show up, you make it bigger and better and and do the radio a service, basically, in behind closed doors, I was like, oh, this is this is a lot, you know. Um, in, in that moment, then, how do you... Because, like, it must be really hard, obviously, 
having all these ears on you as well, eyes, I don't know, like, all radio eyes and ears, but like, it must be really hard then obviously showing up knowing that like you've got to put on the show. I mean, how do you, how did you get by during that time? Because I can't e explain it any other way than saying that it's like therapy. You walk in the studio, you just feel so much lighter and you're, yeah, you're there to do a job, but it makes me feel so good getting to make other people happy. And when I speak to her, one of my favorite things is when we do like a competition or a call and we call, you know, I had like a couple on today and I randomly said something about why is everyone wearing sandals in October? And the, and then people are texting in, well, I'm wearing trainers and I'm wearing this and, oh, David and, David and Jane were wearing wellies. Like, and it sounds so silly and so simple, but it's like, it's so enjoyable getting to speak to people that that's all that matters in those moments. In those three hours, I get to forget about whatever's going on in Amy Vivian's life outside. But in those studios, I'm Amy Vivian, this fun person who just loves being there and loves what she does. Yeah, it's like be, having that kind of like, kind of like switched it off in, in some ways. Yeah, 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 like, exactly. In a weird way from like the real world where you're in this moment and like, it must be amazing obviously like interacting with people as well. Because it's obviously great when you put stuff out in the world and then people are oh, I resonate with this, I resonate with that. Yeah, that that's exactly it. And it, it's so nice. Like in a weird, in a weird way, I always say like one of, as it was a challenge, one of my favourite times being on air was during the pandemic because radio was so different. We got to do completely different things. We got to speak to some incredible people that we would never have thought of speaking to before and, and hear some really, really amazing stories that really like, hit home and you're like wow I get to I get to be a part of this this is a big thing yeah I mean is it is there anyone where you've been a bit like starstruck you've like spoke to on it um not really starstruck there's just those people where you're like oh they're they're cool like your Harry Styles is you know <laughs> those kind of people that you just even walk past them you're like wow how have you found it then, like, interviewing people as well? Like, I think when I started, I think I was absolutely terrible. Like, but as, as, the more you do, you get better. You, you get better at asking questions and uh, getting people. For me, it's always like I'll get, get people to, like, open up to you. And it, it's just like, I feel like you chuck, is, not chuck everything out, but, like, you're trying to open them doors for them to, like, open up and feel relaxed. I mean, how is that for you, like, interviewing people on the, on the radio? You've just said it, exactly that. It's just like getting people to relax. And I always say this to people that are like, oh, it's so it's so daunting. It's like, no matter who they are, they are just a real person. <laughs> you know, I know they might have multi-millions in the bank and they might be on Wembley Stadium stage every single night with a sellout tour or Taylor Swift who's made however many millions on her era's tour and doing a movie, you know. But deep down, she's a real person. At some point in her life, she goes home and sits in Netflix. Like, do you know what I mean? And and the more like relaxed you are with it, and just be like, obviously, don't like take the Mickey and don't go too far. But you could, but you know what you're allowed to. Usually, with with the artists, we get in and, and things. You know what they want to talk about and what they don't. If there's any no goes, they're gonna let you know. So you know, just enjoy it. Enjoy talking to them, just like how you and I are talking. Or we would say on the right for my show, one of the things we really try to get across is like wherever you're listening whatever you're doing it's just like that I just want to be your friend who's just there you don't have to be really switched on I'm just trying to talk to you like I would talk to my friends in a pub and that's sort of 
what we try to do with our artists as well, talk to them as if we know them and like we do and and have yeah. a chat with me. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, obviously, like you feel more confident now than ever because obviously you found like your your tone of voice and that's something I've I've really struggled with I think at the maybe beginning of this year with a podcast like you get so influenced by people which are super successful in that niche and then you you start copying their style of questions and I'm like well that isn't me and it's really hard for me to like move away from that sometimes because you, you get so influenced by people which are pulling in millions of streams or downloads um I mean how is that for you then? Do you feel like, is it just fanning, fanning yourself out? Yeah, it's totally what you just said. It's, it is so hard. And, and with social media now, you can't help it. You could be the best person in the world, right? And be like, no, I'm not getting influenced. You, you're influenced without even realising we're being influenced now. Right? So it's really hard. But for me, it was about going, almost like taking it back. You know, when I was saying, like, what was I going to do at uni and school? I'm going to do what I love. So it was almost taking it back and being like, where do I want to go? What do I like? What do I want to talk about on air? What, is, what makes me me? When I'm not in that studio one till four, what are the things I get enjoyment out of? Oh, okay, well, I'm, I've got celiac disease, so I don't really get enjoyment out of having celiac disease. But I tell you what, I find it really enjoyable when I start talking about that on social media and people ask me questions and I can help them. Um, I also really like being outdoors. So if I can help people with like how to like do things outdoorsy or just that if I get more enjoyment out of going for a country walk and saying, oh yeah, I went for a walk today and I saw this. Just doing the things that make me more me then yeah. make me more me on air. And I think yeah, yeah. it's like saying to anybody when they say, oh, I want to be a radio presenter. I, I want to be like you. you. You can't be me. Yeah, okay, so, but I like music that's on radio x so should i try and be like toby tarrant no, no because toby's toby you can only be yourself and yourself trust yeah, me, yeah the more yourself you are as a presenter the more authentic you're going to come across and yeah because if you're more trying like to, yeah just like yeah, more likeable yeah. as well like yeah you don't want yeah. someone who you feel like they're, they're putting on the, this kind of act kind of thing yeah. i mean when you when you start the job at capital that's when you kind of was also struggling with with being celiac I mean what yeah. were the signs and symptoms you've kind of spoke about like 10 years prior to that as well you was having the symptoms but yeah. they didn't know what it was I was one of these people that was sort of just got put under the radar and for 10 years I was really poorly with my tummy without going into detail but you know those kind of things and pains and just feeling really low really run down and it was when I was coming out of uni, I started to realise it was like, almost like, oh, every time I have a Chinese or every time I have a Domino's, it's, it's extra bad. There's something going on. Oh, I haven't eaten any bread. That's interesting. I felt slightly better. But it still took me a good couple of years. I think the testing is a lot easier to get now than it was back then um, to get diagnosed. But yeah, basically, literally in the same month that I got that call to the November to do my first two shifts ever on Capital they said by the way you've got celiac disease um and if you're listening you don't know what it is it's an autoimmune disease so you can't ever eat gluten for the rest of your life um so it was a big like well okay career high biggest it's moment 50. of my life biggest personal moment I'm really poorly <laughs> there's, a, there's always something to bring you head down yeah, to earth, like all the time but 
It's like, here, have this, but also just so you don't get too carried away with this new life you might have. Yeah. I mean, how was, um, obviously, being gluten, I mean, that must be quite a struggle, obviously, like, because everything's so expensive, isn't it? And the bread is always, like, tiny as well, so it must be um, quite a shock to the system when you (laughs) pit it up in the supermarket. Yeah, now I'm now I'm eight years in. I'm like, okay, if I can tell anyone that's about to get diagnosed or going through the process or anything, like, don't panic because the first day when you go, like, my mum, bless her, she, my mum's a superhero, right? And um, I never forget that first day. She says it's fine. We went to the supermarket. She buys all of these. Like, we go to the free from aisle, and we are. I'm panicking. This bread is the size of my hand. It's so small and it's falling apart. That always stressed me out. Like, yeah, I it, eat so much bread. Like, I'm so bad for my bread. And garlic bread is like my worst. Like I can't live without garlic bread. I must go through like two weeks. Yeah, I'm surprised I mean, I'm, not, I'm not fat because like, I, <laughs> I eat so much of it. Like, I'm like, I couldn't eat it outside, only in the house in my, my, my sato. Yeah, yeah. In, your, in your comfies and stuff. But yeah, you do go, oh my goodness. But then you kind of get used to it and you realise that it's not that bad and there are so many alternatives now even if you you know even if you do eat eat the just the basics like pasta bread that kind of thing the gluten-free versions now compared to 10 years ago are so much better so different would you would you have you always been quite confident then like speaking up about being serious because i had someone on the other day um so sophie montague she just happens to be a radio host as well which is quite funny uh but she was like saying like um she just wasn't that confident i mean do you, have you always felt empowered to kind of speak up about it? No, not at all. <laughs> um, I guess because I experienced both things at the same time, I was learning how to do national radio at the same time I was learning to change my whole lifestyle. Like, And it is a lifestyle change because you can no longer just grab lunch on the go you can no longer just go to any restaurant and order whatever you want you can't actually go to any restaurant anymore because it even if they offer you something it might not be safe like you you've got to be so strict and it took me a long time to get into that it was see that was my priority outside of the studio of getting on board with it but inside it was radio radio get good get good and maybe sometimes now I look back and think oh I should have spoken up about it more like you know I should have been posting on Instagram so much sooner but but I didn't and maybe that happened for a reason because now I've learned so much more about celiac disease and about gut health and you know my IBS and I can actually talk to people a lot more confidently than I would have been able to do when I first got diagnosed in 2015. And it must have been obviously amazing obviously meeting Charlie as well. Yes. Um, at Capital and obviously she being celiac. I mean, what was the story behind finding Charlie's celiac as well? So Charlie Powell is one of our presenters on Capital Dance. And just one day I was think I was making lunch and she was in for a meeting and she was like, wait, are you gluten-free, Amy? And I was like, yeah, why are you? And she's like, yeah, I've got celiac. And I said, I've got celiac too. And then you'll realise that whenever you meet a celiac person, that's all that you want to talk about for ages. And you, we tell everyone that we're gluten-free and celiac. Um, and that basically was it and it was just so nice that we'd say oh have you tried this restaurant and oh have you been here or have you seen this is now gluten-free um you know have you tried this brand and it, that that's always really nice 
It's nice. It's nice to have that clip with someone who, who kind of understands it as well. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was going to say with with your husband. <laughs> I mean, was it was he aware of obviously like Syriac, um when when you guys met? Yeah, he was. Obviously, he didn't know what it was, um, but bless him, like. He was an absolute legend. And now I'm like, if you're celiac and you date without bragging that this happened to me, but now I'm like, here's my top tips. Don't date anyone that doesn't do this for you because you want them to go out and have checked the restaurant is celiac safe for you before you even get there. And when you get there, you want them to be like, can we have the gluten-free menu? Oh, can we just check? This is definitely going to be gluten-free because it, Sometimes it's really hard when you're first diagnosed, just speaking up in those situations. You almost feel embarrassed, like saying to the waiter when the food's brought, are you sure this is gluten-free? But I have had it so many times where they go, oh, so sorry, no, we've given you the wrong dish that, like, you know, so it's better to always check. But with Steve, he was always great and is always great at always checking for me um, in the restaurant. It's so important as well, because yeah. you want your half, like, even if you're, single on dates and i've always said like look if someone doesn't take obviously mine being under allergy i was like if someone yeah, doesn't take yeah. me allergy seriously then also i'm not going to see that person again you know what i mean or if they're going to eat nuts and, and risk it like it's so scary i mean how's that experience been in restaurants you find that restaurants are becoming more understanding about like so yeah i i think some are some. but i think there's a long way to go with not just celiac but with allergies in general i don't think that they are taken as seriously as they could be like when we're talking allergies or celiac and everyone the the annoying thing that everyone says oh you'll be all right if you just have a little bit it's like "Mm, you might think that because you don't experience it but if i end up in hospital like are you okay with that but they don't, like, there's not enough knowledge to know that that's how serious this thing, like, this could get. Or, like, you've got a nut allergy. If you're not, we all know, like, how severe these allergies can be. And I think sometimes there's such lack of awareness that we've we've got to start. That's why I, I talk about it now, because, because we can talk about it and we shouldn't be ashamed to say, no, do you know what? If you cook that, if you're telling me that those chips are gluten free, but you're cooking them in the same fryer as everything else... I'm going to speak up and tell you, no, they're not gluten-free and you shouldn't be advertising them as gluten-free. Yeah, because I, I had someone on the podcast the other day where they, they kind of spoke about like low gluten and it's just like, there's obviously like a massive like lack of awareness there. And I've always been like, look, if they don't take it serious, like yeah. there's no way I'm going to like eat their food. Or if they just kind of fob me off, which some people do and it just like infuriates me. It's like, well, so I'm going to eat here now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was literally at a restaurant the other day and they were like, yeah, this is, um, it's kind of gluten-free, but like it does have a bit in it, but we, the glute, we cook it at such high temperatures that we burn the gluten off. I was like, no, like, like you can't burn the gluten off. And it's frustrating. But what I do in those situations is go, okay, no worries. I, I'll just stick to my drink. Thank you. And I'll sit and have the, the meal with everyone else, but I won't eat anything. And I'll go and get myself something else because I would much rather have to go and get an M&S gluten-free sandwich at the end of a night and not be poorly and go, oh, yeah, 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 and be a little, like a little bit embarrassed and go, I'm going to eat it because I don't want to say no because I'm out and then end up in absolute agony, potentially, like, going to hospital. Yeah, I mean, I've done oh, the other same where I think, like, one 
one player site, they couldn't recommend it. So I just added McDonald's. To yeah, the exactly. I was like, yeah, like, and everyone was like, what? You did that? Like, everyone was like, I'll definitely do that. I was like, yeah, like, why not? I'll get a sandwich, like you said. Oh, it's just not yeah. worth that worth that risk. So. I think part of the problem as well is that everyone has such different reactions. Like for celiac disease, just because it's to do with your gut doesn't necessarily actually mean that you're going to have gut symptoms. Like one of the symptoms of celiac disease for women, which everyone would be like, what is reoccurring miscarriages? So yeah. Or just break constant brain fog hasn't like, you're not actually getting any, any kind of like IBS related, you know, like diarrhea or that kind of thing, symptoms. But so, so it, it, so if you say, I say, I know it makes my tummy really hurt. That's my symptom, but that doesn't necessarily relate to everyone. I think that's sometimes where people can't understand it because it varies for so many people. Got like different symptoms. I would yeah. love to talk to you about like the mental health side. So obviously being so, yeah, I think it's something which should probably definitely not spoke about even within allergies as well. But I mean, mm -hmm. what was that? What was the mental health side for you? I think I'm only just coming to terms with how much it affected me mentally now. I'm I'm sort of out of it. If it, not out of it, but um you know, I said it's it is a whole lifestyle change. You are constantly having to check the back of packets, you're constantly having to double check people, not trust the restaurants because now you you've got to be careful. Um it plays on your mind, and for me, where I'd had symptoms for so long beforehand and my life became where's the closest toilet can I get on this train because of the toilet situation oh no I can't get on that one because that toilet is in amongst the train carriage whereas the Avanti trains have like their own toilet like that that is yeah, and it, it became yeah, so yeah. in my brain where it became almost subconscious of like constantly thinking of it as soon as I felt the tiniest, tiniest twinge in my tummy, which everybody would experience, like, it's just you processing your food kind of thing, I would panic, and automatically, that my gut then sends a signal to my brain, and my brain sends a signal back to my gut, and because it's happened, it goes, panic, 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 panic. Now I'm suddenly realising, like, I've had to do a lot of work to go, okay, and it, it really is affect, it, it really can affect you mentally, and, like, what I've learned now is to say to people, you, it's okay, just take a minute, just stop. Don't, like, don't panic. It will be okay. Like, you will be okay. And just repair that kind of, that connection a little bit of, and explaining to people and talking to people. And the more I've become not embarrassed to say, oh, no, I'm not going to eat it, weirdly, the better my mental health has got because of it. Because because you aren't ashamed and then you're not worrying. Oh God, I'm going to upset them because I'm not eating their birthday meal out, you know. Um, it, it, it's it's a challenge and it's a balancing act and that that is mental health, isn't it? You know, some days you have good days, some days you have bad days. And with celiac disease, I just encourage everybody, just talk to everybody around you as much as possible because that's going to make you, that, that will make you okay in itself. If everyone around you is supporting you in this bubble, it will be brilliant. Yeah, because I I've struggled a lot with the anxiety, more so kind of mm. um, like eating out and just like I may have an allergic reaction. And my t-shirts are ruined because I'm constantly like pulling the net, the net kind of line down to see if I've got a rash on my body. And it's 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 really hard to like you say sometimes to calm your body down in in that situation. Did you kind of seek therapy in to kind of really kind of 
ease that kind of your mind and your thoughts in, in that sense? Yeah. So it got to the point where other things had been going on as well, like last year, two years previous. And I literally, it, it wasn't my celiac disease at this point. That was controlled. It was my IBS and that signal gut brain axis. Like I couldn't leave the house. Any plans that we had basically were ruined because I got a bad tummy. Or I needed to go home early because I get a bad tummy. I was at a wedding and I got a bad tummy halfway through because I I'd got so used to having a bad tummy that any big event, I'd go, oh, I really hope I don't get a bad tummy. Oh, I wonder if I do. And without, and I'd go, no, 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 I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. But the gut brain access is so powerful. Our guts are our second brain. They are constantly communicating. So one tiny thought or like worry, you're like, oh no, you, you know. And it got to a point where, me and Steve sat down and he said, we, we need to figure something out because this isn't healthy for you because all that does then is when you have to leave or you can't make it because you've got a bad tummy and you're okay, then you feel upset because then you're letting people down. And so I did, um, I spoke to an amazing guy, Christian, who's a celiac dietitian, just to get on board with that side of things. And then I spoke to an amazing um, doctor who's a specialist gut-brain psychologist her name's Alexa Duff and she was just incredible at like talking about that's how I can talk so like openly now about this gut brain access and how it's communicating and how just that one little thing in your mind that says oh you're going to be okay then triggers a, a panic of maybe you're not and just repairing that really and openly talking about other things where I was always thought oh I'm so sh- I'm strong I I can deal with life stresses and you know like the grief side of things like because I did radio, it was hard, but I was having such a good time. It just kind of like, I was just fine. And I think I only dealt with a lot of things in the last year to go, oh, okay. And now I can go out and I haven't had a reaction for two and a bit months, which to some people would be like, what? But, you know, my friends were saying to me, we'd be booking weekends away. And my friends are going, are you sure? Do you think you're going to be okay? Because you're not, and I'm sitting there and I'm not myself when I'm there either. And that's the thing with therapy you really get to you notice patterns that you don't even realize you're doing yourself and by untangling it you can kind of rework it and put it back together and and put the jigsaw back together basically what was what was then wordings you kind of spoke about stopping the trigger of that kind of thought which can kind of take you on this kind of like spiral so what what was it you you kind of tell yourself now and that thought kind of pops to mind positive like you are going to be okay because you've done if it's a journey I've done before or if you're going somewhere like you just went to this place um let's just have a minute deep breathing I have an what I call it's called emergency calm it's five minutes of a woman talking she says deep breathe you just reset your brain just to have a moment and also to know that you know what even if something happens you're actually going to be okay And in those moments you go, oh yeah, I am going to be okay. And just taking a little breather and a little moment to just like almost respect yourself again and be like, come on, it's it's okay. In those tiny little moments, like don't be silly. Okay. And even if something happens, sometimes with me, it was like, even if it was happening, I almost was making it worse by, because my brain was in like, oh God, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I've got to go home. How do I get home? What's going on here? You know? because you spiral and 
you just can't enjoy the evening or if you're out with friends it can yeah yeah now I'm very much like okay this is happening but I'll be fine what do I need okay if I have a bad tummy okay I need to get myself something I found weirdly this is just my thing and this is what you learn okay I need to get myself a little sugary drink and some water give myself half hour chill and I'll and I should be all right um those those like little processes of I like take the dogs for a walk every day that is my therapy I will sit if I feel a bit stressed and I will just stroke the dog I'm like that guy in Austin Austin Powers with his cat yeah with the cat yeah okay and do you use do you use like any apps as well yeah I use um, the calm app for like the meditation um side of it and every night one thing I um Alexa taught me about was like putting good routines in and which was quite hard for me in that my life life is quite varied of even though I do radio one till four if we're doing this say now this evening or what if I've got to go to an event in the morning or we're going to a film screening in the evening and so there wasn't that regularity but trying to get a routine in as many days as possible of getting up at the same time going to bed at the same time not looking at your screen as much I know it's silly but that is good for your gut listening to a sleep not like not just being on tiktok all night is good for your gut you must like yeah and i think it's so hard like i struggle to like switch off and i keep saying i need to do like calm or this mind as well i think but um because someone told me about one the other day and i was like i need to i need to do this and it's just through having conversations on nights out and just speaking with speaking with another guy and it was um yeah friend's birthday and um yeah the next day we all went out for drinks and he was like talking about his mental health and um he was saying oh i use this app and it's like really helped me like yeah i find it like i find them really good and of like one thing you know what you're saying i struggle to switch off i still do but i almost like allow myself now i'm just like okay and one thing alexa taught me was you know in the middle of the night if you wake up i was really bad for i would be able to i'd go to i'd struggle to get to sleep and then i'd go to sleep there was so much whirling around in, in my in my brain I'd wake up and it was going round and round. She was like, in those moments, don't just lie there. Like, get up, go make yourself a drink, go read a book for half an hour. Like, so that you you almost trick your brain again. You go, right, okay, we're resetting and we're going to go again. And so then by, then you take yourself back to bed and you go, okay, sleep. And you're more likely to get sleep quicker than if you were just laying there and letting everything go round and round in your head. It's weird that, isn't it, when you get in bed, you find you want to relax and it's like, oh, you need to do this. Like, I find it real, like, because I used to work on the podcast, like, most nights, to be honest, about nine o'clock. And then I have have the hour then just to try and, like, chill out or just watch your mode at first sight. That's that's the new show at the minute, watching. But um, it's hard, isn't it, to just try and, and have that time for yourself just to kind of switch off and, yeah. Yeah, and I used to think I was like absolutely fine and I was brilliant and I just had a bad tummy and that was the problem. And then now I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to go out and was poorly all the time and didn't feel myself all the time and just was like, la la la, it's fine for so long. Yeah, you just get used to it though, don't you? Like, you know, like you mentioned there with it, with the, with the toilets, like you just get used to it, like getting into that routine. But obviously now you've got a diagnosis, you can actually enjoy it. I mean, what? I just kind of want to end the podcast on what what advice would you give to any people with CIA listen to this? One, don't panic if you've just been diagnosed. Um, two, most importantly, 
Talk about it. Tell as many people in your circle that you've got celiac disease and exactly what that means. And three, when you're out, like, don't be embarrassed or ashamed to say, like, really ask questions. Do you have separate fryers? Is, is it a separate area? Is it, is that, what's the risk of cross-contamination? For, if you are celiac, even if you don't have symptoms, one tiny grain that can't be seen by the eye can cause damage to your gut. So you, you we do have to be really careful. But if you ask the right questions, you, you can make a judgment. And most times, nine out of ten, ten times, you go, oh, okay, yeah, they know what they're talking about. And probably most celiacs have researched that restaurant before they've gone there anyway. But if you don't feel safe, just say no. It You know, if you do, if there's even a... Because I used to do that and I'd be like, they'd say, yeah, yeah, there's... Like, obviously, we cook in the same area, but your your meal's gluten-free. And I used to think, oh, that's fine. And then I realised that I was saying that was fine. And in my brain, that brain was going, is it going to be fine, though? What yeah, if they you start questioning it, then I'll like, yeah, doubt it. If they've accidentally sprinkled breadcrumbs and you haven't realised and you've eaten it. And then by the time I got home, I'd given myself IBS, essentially, because I'd panicked myself subconsciously. And now I think... If there's any moment where I'm like, no, I'm not sure. Okay, thanks so much. I'll just have a drink. Yeah. I, I forgot to ask earlier, what was your reaction when you did speak about being celiac on Capitol? Like, did you get yeah, lots of I messages? Mean, every, yeah, everyone's just like, I always talk about it now on air for everyone talking about food. I'm like, oh, unless it's gluten-free. So I think it's becoming a thing. Um, but yeah, everyone's so positive and that's why really why now you know you said earlier like have you always used your voice no but that's why now I'm like I want to be able to use my platform like doing things like this to be able to talk about it and say how you know what it's cool let's be a cool little celiac gang that if you've got you know or or allergy gang because celiac's not an allergy it's a disease right but but we're but unfortunately we all get put in the same same thing but let's make it let's spread the word let's get as much information out there and I can only tell you my journey of what I've learned and what has helped me through the process. But if that helps just one person by listening, like say to this, of like those techniques of like, like helping with your brain and like when you go out to a restaurant, brilliant. That's, that's amazing to me. Yeah. I think it's so important. Like you say, like the mental, like health, like implications. And I, I've, I've said earlier, like for me, like just reading about it on the news, just gives me a panic attack. So someone actually sent me a message earlier which is which is nice but she basically she was i mean the message wasn't the message was like oh this chef who's got an allergy has just died i don't understand why the what sent it to me like maybe for me to like share it on the story but i i've done this before then i get people like oh no that's gonna give me anxiety and i was like yeah it gives me anxiety so like, i stopped sharing that kind of content now because it just i don't i don't want to like make everyone else like panicky like you know anxiety increase it yeah i know i do totally get it and you've got to, i think in those moments you've got to kind of be like oh my goodness like that's obviously that's really sad but but try not to go into panic mode and be like well i'm gonna try like some we can't control one of the things i learned is from talking and having therapy is i'm a quite a bad control freak and i never realized i never ever knew how about like I never even if you'd have told me two years ago you know you're a control freak I would have been, I would have got well aggy with you and been like no I'm not but oh oh I am like I and that's part of my thing is was knowing and anything out of my control 
made me panic and made me anxious and anxiousness causes IBS right and then and so you kind of like set you set that spiral goes and now I'm like oh okay now if I'm out of control I have to tell myself yeah but I can't control that so therefore that means I have I cannot do anything that's gonna like change the circumstance I can do what I only I can control what I can control so if you like I'd be the same you get sent that and now I'd be like oh that's really sad like okay I'm going to try not to panic about that though because what what can I do when I go out I'm going to be extra careful now you know do you know what I mean I don't know this yeah it's like yeah no yeah it's just like that kind of like inner voice in it as well I, I, I mean, I keep saying I'm going to end it on this question, but I keep, no, it's there's, fine. Right, there's, there's one, what, one last one. I would just want to talk about the wedding mm. and obviously finding obviously gluten-free food at the wedding. Was it quite hard to find a supplier to like um, do the gluten-free food? Yes, I know. I, I kind of knew what I wanted to have. And so I knew that it was going to be, they were going to be able to do it gluten-free. So um, we had a marquee in a garden and we got a hog roast, basically. So hog roast is, is gluten-free minus the bread bun. Um, and we had loads of salads. And we, I just spoke to the, the guy in, in loads of detail and said, like, you know, I've got celiac and there's a, few, a couple of other celiacs come in. And it, we had... All of the salads were gluten-free, everything, so that there wasn't any any possibility that you'd get the wrong salad if you couldn't have it. And I think this is the thing. Some people turn their nose up and they're like, oh, they're gluten-free. It's the same food. Like, you just haven't realised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, then I just, the guy, they, they had the gluten-free buns, which were plastic-wrapped, kept on the other side and separate to everything else. And the people that wanted it went and got that. And yeah, it was, it was so good. And we had a cheese board. Uh, thanks, Nance. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> they uh, sorted me out with loads of biscuits and we had a big cheese board for the evening. And I was like, for me, as a, as a wedding, like as a guest, basically, I've decided I can't go to weddings really because I don't, the, unless I really know those meals are gluten-free. Or, or they're not, they might not be CDS safe, so it's going to stress me out more. But for me, at my own wedding, I was like, brilliant. I can do a gluten-free cheese board. And it was, and I was just like living my best life on the dance floor with the cheese and crackers. And it was amazing. Yeah. You can enjoy it. Just embrace it. Yeah, if anyone, exactly. I've absolutely loved having you on, Amy. If anyone wants to kind of follow your kind of celiac journey and um, being on capital, um, would you like to share your social handles? Yes, uh, at Amy Vivian on TikTok and Instagram. Oh, why did I say TikTok first? And it's A-I-M-E-E -E because people tell me that I spell my name weird and they can't find it and find me. So yeah, A-I-M-E-E -E Vivian um, on Instagram and TikTok. Follow me amazing. so you all things and my dog might be featured at some point. <laughs> if yeah, she's being I made sure to <laughs> take a look out for it. But no, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. I could have chatted literally all night. I, when you get me going on this stuff, honestly. Can't, can't, can't stop, yeah. No, literally. <laughs> Amazing.